Hi everyone, and welcome to Creativity Sucks, a podcast from Creative Review that looks at the joys and challenges of working in advertising and design. I'm Eliza Williams, CR's editor, and I'll be your host for this show. In this episode, we're going to tackle ethics in advertising and how agencies decide which clients they work with and what boundaries there are in terms of the type of work that they will create. This is a question that has likely existed since the first emergence of the advertising industry, but has come into particularly sharp focus recently in relation to climate change and the idea of greenwashing, the practice whereby brands and businesses use marketing to appear more environmentally friendly than they actually are. We're therefore going to focus our conversation particularly on sustainability and how agencies work with clients on this topic. As part of it, we will also get into how you lead teams where members might object to some of the clients the agency works with and what roles agencies can play in creating meaningful change. To discuss all of this, I have three brilliant guests. Pippa Morris, who is Head of Strategy at UK and US-based agency Revolt. Hi there. Alex Obradovich, who is Head of Experience for publicist group MENA. Hello there. And Tom Tapper who is co-founder and CEO of London-based creative agency, Nice and Serious. Hi there. Brilliant. Thanks for joining me for this. To begin, I thought I'd just start by asking you all to briefly talk about your agency setup and the kind of clients you work with, as I know you all have pretty different agencies and different sizes and so on. I'm just going to say from the outset, I'm not going to ask you to talk about specific client work in this chat unless you happen to bring something up. Because really, we're going to look at this as a quite a broad topic rather than get into specific people. But just to start with, if I could get an understanding of the size of your agency and how your relationships with clients work in broad terms, that would be great. Alex, I'm picking on you first. Uh, what do you think? Explain your, your setup. My role is kind of, um, it's a bit of a dual role. So I'm with Publicis Publis Sapient, where I spend the lion's share of my time, which is you know specifically around product design. So we work with clients to design products around various needs that are out there with the market, whether that be banks, whether that be within the oil and gas sector, um, emerging technology. Uh, it can be FMCG, although less so more in the technology space. But I also uh, am a bridge to to the the other agencies within Publicis Group on on that side of the planet, so Africa, Middle East, North Africa, where, where I kind of I help them bring the more technology sort of product design now to group and also bring a lot of the creativity from group into Sapien so we can wrap stories around these things and, and help clients tell the right stories around their products. The majority of our work um, out of MENA is, I would say, is probably emerging markets. So, you know, technology, we're, we're focusing a lot on artificial intelligence. There's a fair amount of FS work, you know, financial sector work, and, and also a lot, as you would expect, in, in the energy segments. Yeah. Brilliant. And sort of roughly how many people on teams are you overseeing, if you like? I guess it depends on what projects we're global. So, I mean, right now we're working on, on some stuff where there's, there's projects with hundreds of people on them. Uh, likewise, we could be working on small kind of more, more senior teams where you plug sort of five or six very, very senior people in to go and unlock something for a client, which can be as small as as five or ten people so it really it really varies based on whether you're at the most strategic end of an engagement which is the latter so small senior more senior team go and unlock something and then if you're on the more delivery end so rolling out um you know products or or product driven campaigns for instance it can it can be up into the the tens and then and then 
the, the hundreds really and, and the creative complement is, is usually a, you know a big, a big part of that but technology is it's usually the biggest yeah totally I think we'll probably discuss scale and size of agencies in a bit actually but that's really really helpful Pippa over to you how how does it work at Revolt uh, so Revolt. So Revolt's a global creative consultancy, um, and it's designed to help businesses and brands use purpose properly. That's the aim. So what I mean by that is making businesses and brands have a sort of tangible and lasting impact on the world around them and, of course, their business. Um, we work with our clients through sort of three different strands. So through our purpose consultancy. So this is really about developing their purpose and the sort of impact space that they might want to play in our activist agency. So this is more around realizing the impact of your purpose in the real world. So that might be, for example, comms for paid owned and earned media, or it might be an activation or, an, or sort of an innovation, or it might be working with influencers in that space. And then we have our innovation studio. So this is helping develop new brands or new product development, or uh, maybe new business or sort of branding for a new business. And the way we are set up, so we are based in London and New York. We have strat department creative and design and client services um and there's about 70 of us give or take in terms of permanent hires okay great and then tom can you just give me a, a rundown of how nice and serious is set up yeah sure so uh, i'm undoubtedly uh, the smallest agency here but uh nice and serious we're, we're a london-based uh, creative agency there are 22 people full-time in the team and then a, a kind of broader a team of freelancers and consultants we bring on for projects. Um, we're we're sort of set up to to make creative work the world needs, as as we call it, and we we broadly break that out into three areas. So the first is more around branding, so developing brand strategies, uh, brand identities for a mixture of international organisations and charities, along with kind of small purpose driven um, kind of challenger brands. Um, we then work across kind of campaigns, so developing campaign concepts to try and influence um, kind of the outcome of big decision, global decision making, and to champion various causes. And then we have content teams, so we produce videos, animations, websites, design um, for a range of different organizations. So about half of our clients are in the sort of um, charity NGO space, so the big international organizations, the Greenpeace's, WWF's. World Health Organizations, people like that. And then the other half, we do work quite a lot for large international organizations, uh, but more supporting them with sustainability communications, purpose-based communications. So, you know, the Ben and Jerry's, Innocence, Ikea's of the world, we, we work with them to help communicate the impact of what they're having doing as a business, really. So, um, yeah, that's us. Great. And I wanted to, again, from each of you, sort of get a sense of um, how you... I guess, choose the clients you work with and so on. I mean, obviously, you're all kind of quite different arrangements, but Tom, maybe as you've mentioned some particular clients and obviously there, there's a sort of particular strand of um, work that a lot of them are doing, I guess. that Maybe you could talk a little bit about your process there because I understand you have a quite specific way of as, as well of um, choosing who you work with and who's right for, for your teams. Yeah, so I think it's worth saying as an agency, we're very project-based, so we don't really have retained relationships with clients because we are ultimately helping them to communicate sustainability, so we're not used as an above-the-line or, or retained agency. Um, and, you know, 
I think we quite quickly realized as an agency, I mean, we've been going 15 years now, but we, we quite really quickly realized that our biggest impact wasn't so much the operations of our uh, studio or anything like that, but rather which businesses um, and organizations we decided to partner with. Um, and I think in the very early days, um, that was very much a subjective decision made by myself and the other co-founder, just really based on whether we thought the organization was trying to do a good thing. But I, I, I think as we we grew as an organization and we started taking on briefs from bigger businesses, bigger organizations that had a bigger footprint, I, I think we realized that actually we needed a slightly more sophisticated way of, of, of making a decision about who we work with and who we choose to say no to. And, you know, also understanding it's an incredibly subjective process about who you think is doing good for the world and who you think isn't, right? So um, we actually had a, a weekend away thing with our staff and we kind of put the, the, the kind of question to the team and we, we ended up developing this idea which we called the moral compass where essentially every single person in the team gets a chance to democratically and anonymously vote on every brief we get as an agency based on the extent to which it aligns with our purpose which is to make creative work the world needs so this uh, app that we, we we developed um essentially aggregates everyone's uh kind of votes and scores and provides an average and we've set it up in a way where if it scores 51 percent or above it's a pass and if it's 50 percent or below it's a fail and we have to reject the brief um so it, it, it kind of has a black and white outcome to a to a very subjective process but as the business owner it gives me a real sense of the extent to which the team and the brief are aligned to our, our our purpose as an agency so it helps me make a better decision ultimately but but you know it, it does bring some sense of objectivity to a very gray and very sort of um kind of uh sort of challenging uh thing to work out as an agency who you work with and who you say no to so um so yeah that, that's how we do it yeah how much how much nuance do you allow into this? So, say if something was rejected through the app, if you felt it had been um, there were things that could be changed, for example, that might make it accepted, would would you do that? Or if it's rejected, it's rejected, and you just move on. That's a good question, and actually, it's a debate we've had recently because uh, last week uh, a brand uh, a brief from a, a car manufacturer got rejected, um, and, and that that was a question from the people who submitted the the brief to us, um, but. As it stands, it's it's an outright fail, um, and there isn't a discussion about how the brief could be changed. Um, but that might be something we want to build into it in the future. Um, and and I think that's because we really want to communicate to our team that they've joined Nice and Serious for a reason to have an impact, and and that we will stand by the vote um, that, that that they give. That that doesn't mean in the future that we we can't receive another brief from that organization but about that particular brief uh, we will honor the result and, and and say no um and sometimes we'll pass that feedback on to the client if they're open to hear it um often <laughs> they are less open to hearing feedback on their briefs um so, so we just politely decline um yeah no i can imagine um alex i'm going to come to you next because i'm assuming it's pretty different at publicist but but maybe i'm wrong how how does it work there in terms of clients and who who you'll work with a group is huge right so a lot of it is existing relationships that have been around for, for decades with certain businesses there's also a lot of new clients and new initiatives there's also a fair amount of venture work as well you know that we do 
alongside sort of clients to, to develop products and, and, and services. But on, on, on more of a, an individual level, I think it's probably better to talk about it like that with, with publicist group because I think, you know, decisions are made at, at different levels when you're a, a group of nearly 100,000 people globally, right? So um, in terms of individuals, it's absolutely within our, our culture for, for people to be able to express their views on the work that we're doing, whether they want to work on it, whether they don't, and the reasons for and against that. In our experience, like often it's very purpose-driven, particularly on the, on, the, on the sapien side because we're developing products and we don't tend to receive so much of a, a brief these days. We work sort of more above the RFP line, so we're developing products and services alongside our clients and often going to them with ideas. You know, it has to come from somewhere, you know, so there'll be a certain ask but then we'll develop that with them. So it's less, I mean, I came from agency world, so I, I you know, I know very well what it is to, to receive a brief and then interpret that brief through strategy and then take it into creative, et cetera, et cetera. But, but these, you know, with, with particularly with Publicist Sapien, we're trying to do in the rest of the group, it, it works a little bit differently these days. It, you know, we tend to part the clients more. So yeah, I think it's more on an individual level. Um, um, you know, we we empower people to to express their views on on different pieces of work, but we also try and we have lots of long running engagements. So we staff and we hire based on you know what people will bring to a certain client. So people can be on you know one one engagement for several years with the safety world. You know, within the technology and the product world, it's not it wouldn't be like a three or four week project. But then we have more creative individuals who work across a lot of concepts and pitch type work um where they work on a multitude of different things um and 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 again same stance they can they can choose whether or not they they want to work on that kind of stuff but this doesn't tend to be super polarizing to be honest once once you have the the discussions around the work and the, and the fact that we we do this work with our clients it's been a while since i've kind of faced any issues around that but you might see back in the day when you know cigarette advertising and that kind of that kind of thing when I first started out it was super contentious stuff um, within oil and gas and that kind of thing but um, so much of the work now is around telling a different story uh, through products with with clients um, you know creating things so perception uh, is better right and people generally want to work on that stuff so yeah hope that answers that okay that's interesting because I, I mean certainly when you mentioned tobacco that Obviously, I think that's that's the kind of go-to example in a way of of a sector that's just enormously changed. I mean, through regulation as much as anything. But it feels at the moment there is this kind of wider discussion around sustainability. But in terms of when you were saying about people feeling empowered to express if they don't want to do it, Tom's described this really quite formal arrangement with the team, which I'm guessing is particular to nice and serious really but i mean have you experienced people come to you and say you know look i'm really uncomfortable with this or or is there any sort of system that's there that people can do it without feeling that they're going to get penalized or told off or anything not not in the way that tom described because it just like to develop something like that in in a in 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 a group of our size would be obviously very 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 you know difficult i mean there's no reason why we couldn't and it is a great idea it tends to be more of a conversation with either the the engagement lead or the people manager. We we have have conversations for different reasons, especially in the Middle East, because it's people have different personal politics. 
in the Middle East, right? And it, and it can be, you know, people can not want to work on things for very different regions, reasons that you might see in the West. Uh, and we're super respectful of that as any global uh, business, you know, would be. But we also recognize that people, the cultural nuance, like in our studio in, in Dubai, we have 30 different cultural representations, right? So it's nuance. When we talk about nuance, it's, it's, it's wild. You know, you can't account for everything and everyone and know everything. So it's all about conversation and being super aware of the people you're working with and, and what their motivations are and what they want to do and the, and the kind of great work and how they want to change things. Which for me, you know, spending six or seven years in the region has been super empowering. I'm a totally different person for the better for being there in the way that I understand and work with 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 people. Yeah. So to, to answer your question um, without rambling too much, yeah, I think it's it's very much considering it's such a big organization, it's very much handled on a, on a one to one basis because it's so nuanced. Um, I think is the best way I can answer that. Yeah. No, that's really interesting. And your point about sort of different. Uh, ways of seeing the world um, is really interesting, I think, because we do tend to see things through the lens of the part of the world you're in at the time, and obviously that is uh, only one one view. So, yeah, you could be working on something and it just didn't even come like it doesn't it doesn't it's not even in your universe, you know. And I don't want to get into you know politics or geopolitics or anything, but you're like you just you talk to someone for five minutes and you're like you know I had no idea that was even a, re- a requirement, so. It's it, yeah, it's super interesting and nuanced. Ooh, indeed, Pippa, I want to bring you in here. How how does Revolt sit in in this kind of uh, conversation we've had so far? Um, well, I guess I guess there's sort of two approaches really. So we run, we have previously run a survey with all the employees of Revolt uh, to look at that very question. It's you know, hands down, where is your red where is your red line? Like, what brands would you definitely or businesses would you not? work with um and actually it was a it was a few it was really oil tobacco and arms um because i think ultimately when it comes to revolt because we are ultimately a purpose consultancy we're looking to transform businesses so it really it comes down to the brief for the brand um so there might be for example a brand that historically might have a sort of you know poor ethical background um in terms of its businesses practices but it's very much at the point where it wants to pivot and transform itself. Um, and we see that as a point where we can help them look at where and how they might do that. And I guess the thinking on that is if you're able to transform that sort of business, you're going to have much greater impact on the world than if you were just only to focus on brands where they might have purpose baiting, for example. Um, so I guess, it, yeah, for us, it really does come down to the briefs and the brand um and then it's very much an open discussion um about about whether it's suitable yeah it's interesting what you're saying there about um brands that that want to pivot and want to change because i think there's uh i mean this might sound cynical um <laughs> but uh, there's clearly now i think a recognition that brands need to be more sustainable now or at least that there's a a kind of financial benefit to that in that customers want to see that now and and there's a demand being made from customers which for business purposes I think is creating change in itself I just wonder when you're working with a brand that may on a sort of surface level people might make people go oh really that um that how do you know that how do you how much can you get under the skin do you think um and how and what's your sort of process for that of making sure that 
they are going about it for the right reasons, I guess, or reasons that suit you? Good question. I mean, I guess, how do we go about it? But the people that we speak to and we're often dealing with in terms of the clients are very much those either in charge of the company or the business or those who are, um, you know, leading the sustainability development within the space. So it really does come from, I guess, the heart of the company or the, their DNA. So we're definitely not working in a place where you're likely to get marketing briefs on a sustainability initiative that might be just one small aspect of a larger a larger sort of business objective. So I guess in that sense, there's the reassurance there. I mean, I guess the fact that we are a sort of purpose consultancy first and foremost means that we have those conversations very early on. So there is that reassurance there. Yeah. And I guess people are going to come to you and some nice and serious in a way because of that positioning perhaps more than they might do for a different agency. Yeah, you're right. They'll have already decided that they need to make a change. It might just be that they don't know how or why or what that looks like. Um, and that's therefore our role to help them. Yeah, no, it totally does. Um, and just in a broader sense, Tom, maybe I come back to you. Do you how much do you think agencies uh, have an influence over clients in terms of this kind of thing? Like how, how open to listening are they? I mean, you mentioned when you were talking about the moral compass that that people don't always want to get the negative feedback. Um, uh, you, I mean, uh, in your experience and maybe in looking at what you see in the wider industry, do you, th do you think agencies are in a good position to be able to help clients in this way? Or is it always still going to be limited to the sort of service provider element where they're only going so far? No, I, I think that gets to the heart of the, 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 the challenge, um, Eliza, because I, you know, I, I think to, to Pippa's point, like, you know, I think with the ideal briefs, um, they come from clients who have really internalized the idea of purpose. It's coming right from the top and they're looking to wholesale change their business operations to have a more positive impact. But I think in some instances where sustainability or, or purpose is sort of a siloed part of their operations, you get a sense that the briefs are coming more from a comms and positioning point of view rather than a fundamental business change. So I think it really depends on the nature of, of the agency, right? Because I, I suppose historically agencies have been hired by clients to help market and grow their business. So if you are being approached by a client, the chances are they already have their business strategy in place. They're just looking for you to help position them in the market more favorably. So, you know, if while I would like to say that we can have an impact on the direction of the business, unless we are working on a brand strategy or brand brief where we are literally defining the future of the organization, um, I find our, our role is more from a com storytelling perspective, helping them position it, helping them engage their customers in the sustainability journey, which is, which is obviously super important and vital as part of it. But this is where I question to what extent can we actually influence the trajectory of clients who are in either fundamentally unsustainable or highly damaging industries. You know, that's where purpose sustainability is often used as just a fig leaf for them to continue what they're doing. So you know, like, I don't feel like I can make that statement and say that's true for every single client. Some are different and some totally pivot away from more damaging industries. But 
I do think, you know, the the impact a at least a comms or creative or marketing agency have is relatively lim- limited, I think, in terms of the organization's business strategy, which is really where the impact comes from. Alex, what do you think about this? And, and should this be something that agencies even feel like they should be responsible for? Or is it really lie with the clients? Again, it depends on the role. Like to Tom's point, it depends on the role of of the agency, you know, like some some help clients redesign their business, you know, proper business design and help them pivot. You know, some work a level down at the kind of the the strategy strategy level about how they communicate, how their their you know what, what the design of their their business is or where they're moving, and some are there just to, I guess, tactically develop out those whether they're communication strategies or product strategies or whatever or underneath that sort of that, that brand or that business proposition or all of the above you know across group you know we do all of that you know there's a lot of business design that goes on within publicist sapient within our management consultancy sort of ranks uh, and our strategic ranks you know and then there's there's multiple um, agencies that do the, the that are on the other end of the spectrum uh, very tactically working very tactically with with clients based on multi-year relationships or, or brand new relationships. So on a philosophical level, I think it's, it's again, it's different days, different cases. But, but us as an organization, we absolutely be, need to be aligned with our, with our clients in terms of the, the, our values and their values rather than it's just not, it's not just a revenue thing or, or, or a category thing. Uh, for sure, but yeah, I see the role of, of agencies changing, and, and and with brand becoming so much more important after how the last few years have gone for businesses uh, and perception. Yeah, I see the, the role of agencies um, typically changing and being way more consultative. Um, I hope, I hope. Yeah, are you seeing that too? Because I think I I feel like it's sort of ten years ago. Um, agencies like Revolt and Nice and Serious, well, maybe more than ten years ago, actually, because time goes by quick <laughs> but uh might not have existed you know there wouldn't have been that expectation or even idea that a per you know purpose-driven agency would exist but do you do you feel that that's true what Alex is saying there about that actually pe- you've mentioned already about clients coming to you for that knowledge do you think you have more influence now um do we have more influence yeah I mean I guess so I guess in a way that's why we were built really as a business so if you think about kind of purpose it's very much about having a sort of positive impact in the world and that might be through how a company behaves so for example through its organization or a supply chain on sort of products and services I guess as a consultancy these are the conversations that we have with our clients all the time like that's really what they pay us for and I think it's not necessarily about lecturing them on ethics but it's about being a partner to them so that they can kind of you know, find their most authentic space that allows them to help help people on the planet, but also help them profit, but in, in the right area. Um, well, I guess that's why we're built. Yeah, sorry. Do you think the brands or clients you've, you come across, do you think they always fully understand their behavior too and understand the sustainability question? Because it, it feels like a lot changes all the time and there's new regulation changes all the time. I mean, is that part of the challenge for brands, staying on top of that as well? Yeah, totally. I mean, a lot of the businesses that we work with are very large multinational companies that have whole departments dedicated towards this and to understanding the nuances of 
you know net zero and and how they can get to these targets and and in a way they have a huge amount of expertise in themselves and then our role is to help them navigate that um in a consumer facing way often um but yeah i guess yeah that i guess it depends on the size of the of the the business and brand you're working with as to sort of their level of expertise and therefore the level of expertise they're looking for us to give them there's lots of shades of gray around the green washing question i suppose um and i think that the examples that people often cite are sort of blatant um examples of very big organizations that are 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 doing things that are you know somewhat deceptive consumers but i think they're also well-intentioned organizations so say things around supply chains or um you know things where you you have control over a certain amount of something but then you may actually not have control of the full supply chain or the full uh or be across the regulation that's current now or you know and i i just wonder how much of a role agencies have in helping brands through that yeah no, it's it's really and honestly that this we are getting asked about this so much right now, especially from big FMCG organisations who were who were trying to navigate how the new EU and UK legislation is going to hit them. And I, I think at the moment it, the, the, there's a real sense of fear because obviously the legislation is in place to, I, I guess, help. You know, it, it's to stop organizations from misleading customers and, and to help customers be able to make that that kind of uh, more informed choice um, but obviously as a result there is a risk that even the more progressive organizations which should be communicating their sustainability credentials don't because they are scared of getting it wrong um, and as you say there are some great examples of where brands do this incredibly badly and you can really point a finger but there's this whole great kind of gray or <laughs> greenish gray areas perhaps of, of of where brands are making you know ultimately you know pretty harmless comments or or, or kind of statements around you know being eco-friendly being green you know which going forward would be considered vague or misleading so i I think agencies are going to be expected to have a good understanding of greenwashing legislation so that any copy or any strategy or advice we provide is kind of consistent with that. And I, I think there are going to be a huge amount of cases going forward of, of where, where where people are called out for doing the wrong things. But I, I think people can get too caught up in this. I mean, fundamentally, it comes down to just good creative advice, like be honest, don't mislead speak clearly don't be very you know all of those basic principles of good creative good communications just apply in this instance so you know we certainly wouldn't recommend clients kind of like uh like kind of batten down the hatches and don't talk about sustainability but rather just be a lot more focused on what they're saying a lot clearer to their customers to avoid the risk of being accused of greenwashing but as with all these things it just needs to be backed up with action i think we've gone through a period of about three or four years where clients are sort of advertising future commitments which is a really bizarre thing to do but like you know oh by 2030 we promise to positively impact a million farmers or some rubbish like that and you're like okay well that's a great strategy uh, as, as a business but that shouldn't really be forming part of your your your, your comms your, your creative today you should be telling stories about what you're doing on the ground today not what you promise to do in 10 years time so I think it will cut out things like that and help brands focus actually making sure their creative is driven by the action that that they're, they're doing today versus future 
lofty promises, if that makes sense. I think a lot of those promises are totally confusing for consumers as well. If you find you're having to really wordsmith some copy so that it works, that's a, that's a big red flag that you're not, the activity within it is not necessarily the thing you should be communicating with a find. Uh, Tom and Pippa, also, you're both uh, B Corps organisations. Um, how much does that play a part in, in terms of which clients you work for? Um, Tom, maybe I'll come to you first. Uh, yeah, so we've uh, been B Corps certified since 2020, and we, we've actually just recertified um, again uh, in the last couple of weeks or so. Um, and I, I think B Corps is, is a, you know, obviously it, it's a standard to sort of say your business, regardless of sector, is kind of upholding itself to the highest sort of environmental, social, community governance standards. So really as an agency, it just gives you a framework, I, I think, to assess your impact both internally to your colleagues and staff, but also externally on the environment, your community and things like that. So it provides a broad framework. Um, but obviously, as part of that, when you're thinking about well, what impact do you have as an agency, it, you know, it, it also makes you consider, OK, well, what type of clients are we are we working with? Because, you know, we could be um, incredibly responsible about how we organize as a um, we operate as a business. But actually, if we're working for clients and promoting their businesses and their businesses are fundamentally having a damaging impact on the world, that, that, then that for me just just doesn't align with the ethos of the B Corp movement. So I think as a standard and framework, it really makes you question the sort of organizations that you work with as a business. It's potentially going to make you more vulnerable to criticism too, right? If you if you do work with clients that are, uh, I mean, I'm thinking recently of the of the Havas uh, Shell situation, which garnered a lot of press where they were in part criticised for taking Shell on as a client because they are a B Corps. Um, Pippa, is this something that comes up for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess yeah, there is the Havas thing, obviously, and that has caused a lot of um, controversy and, and discussions around that. And I guess you're right, the, probably the reason that it has become uh, uh, a topic of so much discussion specifically for Havas when lots of other brand, um, agencies also uh, have you know fossil fuel clients is that it was um it's being touted as a vehicle organization i think uh for us and similarly to tom it comes back to this um this notion of being able to uh record and 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 track the impact of the company overall um i think that going through the exercise of doing that in order to become certified does put a lens on the type of briefs that you're working with for your clients um and actually revolt are looking to release a sort of independent report specifically on that next year so it definitely does you know put, put emphasis on the type of work that you're going to be doing and, and, t and putting out in the real in the real world um so i think that it, it definitely does play a part um reputationally wise as well obviously you're kind of definitely uh, putting your head above the parapet in terms of what you believe and your values and what you're about. Um, so then you do have to be careful about the, the brands that you take on board. Yeah, and I, I think as well, I think why there was a, a lot of kind of pushback on on, on the Havas decision to work with an oil uh, company, um, you know, I, I think from a 
from an agency perspective, obviously it, it slightly damages the meaning of B Corp um, because it feels at slight, slightly at odds with that. But, you know, in some respects, I can see why some people see it's unfair because, you know, actually Habas as an agency as part of being a B Corp are doing a load of amazing things internally and, you know, looking at their impact more broadly. So, you know, it's almost important that that doesn't get lost in this. But I, I do think it raises questions about the B Corp movement and, and actually, well, are there some clients which are fundamentally at odds with it? And I actually know at the moment the B Corp movement are going through a big review of standards. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if there are some red line clients where if agencies do work with them, then that might fundamentally prevent them from coming B Corp. So, um, you know, I, I do. I, I, I see why a lot of people felt it was, um, you know, it was totally at odds with being B Corp. And, you know, agencies like myself, it does feel like it slightly devalues the meaning of being B Corp if there are agencies who are working with oil companies that have it as well. But, you know, equally taking a step back, there are loads of agencies around the world that still work with oil companies. So it feels a bit unfair that perhaps they were they were singled out but um yeah I, I think it just gets to the crux of this debate which is is it, it's such a gray area it's really hard to, to kind of set red lines and you know even with us we still work with big businesses so you know what who's to say that oil companies are worse than, than others so i do appreciate it can sometimes come across as a bit hypocritical um but i i think you know that's why podcasts like this where we're actually debating these issues are, are so important i just wanted to ask about in terms of just um attracting kind of talent and people entering the industry um how, how much are you finding i'm guessing for pippa and tom maybe because you are kind of advertising yourself as purpose-driven people are coming to you because they want to be part of that that world so maybe alex how, how much do you find that in terms of the creative talent and so on are they younger people coming in are they are they talking about this more maybe than creatives who've been in the industry for a while yeah, for sure. I think that one of the first questions you get is when you, you know, when you're chatting to someone who's potentially going to join the organisation, is 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 it, it's less about it's changed a lot. It, it's changed so much actually, uh, just even in the last ten years. I feel that you know they they want to know who they're going to be working on, what they're going to be working on, way more than you know. Used to the conversations always used to be around you know the celebration of work and awards and this kind of things. Now it's more way more purpose-driven. I think people are a lot more savvy. Like, people who work in your organizations are consumers, right? You know, they are, they're, they're the people we're essentially selling to and particularly the, the younger generation uh, and, and the early career stages people. Um, they're a lot more savvy than we are, especially when, you know, you know, I'm bringing in people who have to be super, super, super savvy in terms of technology and the tools out there and, 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 it's very difficult to, you can't pull the wool over these people's eyes. So it's all about honesty and I guess integrity of, of us and, and our clients. We have to walk the walk. Uh, otherwise, they'll see through us. Um, yeah, because we, same as always with talent, we need them more than they need us. Right. So uh, yeah, for sure, it's absolutely a, a requirement and um, very rare that you don't have those, those conversations. People, People want to, it needs to be worthwhile to them, um, you know, philosophically as well as, you know, financially or uh, whatever else, I think. Yeah. Do you think this, um, and this maybe is for all of you, do you think this will change the sort of way advertising goes in the future? Because, you know, you know, historically, advertising is one of those industries which 
is really influential, really creative, but is sort of often seen as a bit distrusted and, you know, uh, there's, you know, there's negative perceptions around it. Um, do you think that this kind of attitude coming in from younger people will begin to change that? Yeah, absolutely. I think gone are the days where, you know, everybody that kind of, you know, working till 6am in the morning at a, at, um, you know, an agency not, not, not to be named for the prestige of it. I think those days are gone. As an experienced designer, I think people want, and this includes you know people who work for your organisation. People want experiences, and those experiences shouldn't be the kind of experiences that we were seeing twenty years ago um, in the industry. I mean, life has become more important and now competes with it. Used to be, I think, that advertising was life, but I think that has and that'll still be the same for certain people. But I think that's changed somewhat. Just the world has changed, right? Um, and the industry has to change along with it. You're always going to have pockets of and the old guard and these, these kind of these bubbles um, that exist within an industry. But I think by and large, it's like any other in, in, industry. Uh, it's it, it, it feels more, you know, working to live and influence the rest of our lives rather than the other way around. It's a coin of phrase. Yeah. And I think maybe the, the breadth of, of ways that you can work with clients now is expanded so enormously that it's, so flexible, yeah. People can be all over. We we run a program where people can essentially go and work from anywhere on the planet six six weeks. Um, you know, um, it, it's so flexible, so flexible. And the more of that you can offer, the better, the more talent you're going to bring because people have options. They do. They have options. So. Yeah, yeah. Pippa, would you agree with that the industry is changing as a result of some of these points of view? I think so. I mean. If I just think of my own experience, so as a very, very junior strategist, I remember working on some briefs that you would just never work on now. They wouldn't even come into the building, I don't think. Um, but you just kind of did because that, you know, that's what you did when you were a junior. And I think that has definitely changed just in what Alex was saying about, you know, regardless of level, people coming into the industry now are questioning and asking the right questions of those that are interviewing them. So. And I guess the other side of it is there is a lot more um, open discussion and forums and space to have these kind of conversations across the industry where versus, you know, 20 years ago. So I do think that they those are having a big, a big impact. I guess the other thing to say, though, is in the future, you know, we never know what's coming down the line in terms of innovations and things that are going to create a whole new swathe of ethical issues that we're going to have to wrangle. So it's definitely not going to go away, but I think our ability to openly talk about it and figure out the right path is hopefully improving. My hope is that we will start to see almost like a brain drain from uh, the, the, the kind of less ethical agencies towards the more ethical ones. So I, I'm hoping some of the best talent will will want to put their creativity, their intelligence towards brands who are really trying to create a more equitable kind of future. Um, so I, I think we're, we're obviously seeing that through agencies like Nice and Serious and others where we're able to attract kind of really fantastic talent um, to, to kind of join us to make sure those more sustainable brands have the, the creativity they deserve. The next generation are, are incredibly skeptical about agencies in general. So I... I, I also think that there's also a, a sort of skepticism creeping in from the, the tactics that a lot of agencies use, which is they will 
spend a very small portion of their time doing some pro bono work for a charity or a purpose-driven business to win a few cans awards but then you know behind the scenes they're just working with the same old kind of clients so I think there is a lot of skepticism in in that respect um and and I think the only way you know agencies can long term build trust is is you know as as Alex said is is to kind of is to walk the talk and actually start saying no to some businesses who fundamentally contradict their their values and ethics and you know I certainly see it with our staff the the more that they see the moral compass rejecting briefs and the more they see me kind of saying no to money I, I i don't think there's really a stronger signal that you can send as an agency owner to say i am willing to say no to this if it doesn't align because you know we are in the business of selling stuff i mean all of us here could could spin a brief to make it sound positive but i think deep down you can smell a brief when when the ethics aren't aligned and you know as pippa says you you often see it when you're struggling to write the copy for it like so I, I think the more as agencies we start to say no, the more of a signal it sends and the more we, we are attractive to the, the, to the best talent out there, really. So um, just as a, as a build on that as well, I think it's a, where the conversations take place. You know, they don't, conversations don't have to be top heavy. They don't have to be extremely senior on the side of the part of the, the agency. You know, allow the, 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 the younger career, the, the earlier career stage folks in your organization to have conversations with the more senior people on the client side and let them share their ideas and let them be part of change if it's change or let them be part of those new ideas because that's what they're here for otherwise why would we build why would we continue building out of you know you know fresh new talent uh we do a hell of a lot of that we have a lot extremely flat structure because that's how product organizations thrive um, and it really works. You know, it allows our clients to see talent and what that brings. It changes perceptions, and it allows um, you know newcomers to, to to our organization to just to feel like they are well, not feel, but it allows them to genuinely influence the work and the strategies of our of our clients. Uh, I think that's just so important in a culture building sense. No, I totally agree, and I think it's really interesting times in terms of the amount of change happening and and the amount of change in terms of what clients need from agencies and so on. So I think it's it's all in flux all the time, isn't it? So it's listening to to everybody, I think, is really important. But at this note, I'm going to end it because we're pretty much out of time. So thanks hugely to Alex, Pippa and Tom for joining me on this discussion. As ever, these are big questions that are changing all the time, so I'm sure we will return to this topic uh, on a different podcast in the future as well. Uh, but thanks for all your thoughts today and, and thanks to everyone for listening. Uh, uh, if you liked it, please share and tell other people because it does really help. All right. Thanks very much. Music.